The Hamlet Podcast, Episode 11. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanmerty. This episode has appeared a little late due to some technical hitches and my own absconding to Italy for a few days in Rome. My sincere apologies to any of you that have been left waiting by this, but please know that my computer is working again and that my Roman holiday was beautiful. So, we left off just as Claudius dispatched Cornelius and Voltamand to Norway to see if there might be a solution to the Fordenbras situation. Next up, the king turns his attention to a new character, another young man that will be a foil to our eventual protagonist. The king continues his daily kingly rundown of petitioners and suitors needing his attention. And now, Laertes, what's the news with you? You told us of some suit? What is Laertes? You cannot speak of reason to the Dane and lose your voice. What wouldst thou beg, Laertes, that shall not be my offer, not thy asking? The head is not more native to the heart, the hand more instrumental to the mouth, than is the throne of Denmark to thy father. What wouldst thou have, Laertes? In fact, this little nugget introduces two characters. Laertes, who is mentioned an almost unreasonable four times in just over eight lines, and his father. There's a good deal of potential for actors and directors to coax out of this. Perhaps Laertes is shy and Claudius is trying to encourage him. Perhaps Hamlet, who is all but ignored thus far in this scene, is maybe on the brink of speaking or is trying to get the king's attention, and the king slights him in favour of this other young man. Perhaps Claudius is expressly showing favour for Laertes over Hamlet and repeats his name this many times to prove the point. Whatever is going on, and whatever a production chooses to foreground, it is rather weird that Laertes is addressed first. It might be worth a quick discussion here of the difference between thou and you in Shakespeare's English. Of course, nowadays, we don't really use thou, and it sounds excessively old-fashioned and even formal today, or indeed the parody of Shakespearean English, to pepper your speech with thee and thou and thy and so on. So, almost counterintuitively, in Shakespeare's usage, thou is the basic familiar version, and you is far more formal. So, to our ears, Claudius's repetition of you at the beginning of the speech might sound informal, in fact, it's very formal indeed. And then he relaxes and melts towards using thou and thy towards the end of the speech. He's winning Laertes over with this language, warming him up or, or making him feel comfortable enough to speak. Certainly there's a great sense of respect for this young man, and I suppose for his family. He must be some kind of big celebrity in this court, whether he's nervous or not. And Laertes needn't worry about his request being granted either. The king expressly says that he cannot speak of reason to the Dane and lose his voice. In other words, no reasonable request will be denied. We then get this odd little segment from the king, where he announces just how much the throne is at the service, not of Laertes, as one might expect at the end of this speech, but of his father. This is very flattering indeed. The head is not more native to the heart, the hand more instrumental to the mouth, than is the throne of Denmark to thy father. This father is clearly very important indeed, and he'll get a name in just a few moments. First, Claudius replies, and his answer clips the end of the king's line of verse. There's an urgency, maybe a nervousness or an overfamiliarity, or, depending on the production, even an arrogance to his response. 
the king says, What wouldst thou have, Laertes, my dread lord? Your leave and favour to return to France, from whence, though willingly I came to Denmark to show my duty in your coronation, yet now I must confess that duty done, my thoughts and wishes bend again toward France and bow them to your gracious leave and pardon. So, what we thought might have been some rather impressive suit, with some important request, anything from an army to command, or even the head of a prophet on a silver platter, turns out to be the king's permission to go back to university in Paris. This is obviously a court full of learning and international outreach. We've already met Horatio, and we know of Denmark's position between Norway and Poland, and there, or maybe Shakespeare's erudition covering ancient Rome to boot. So this starts to feel like something of a European play, now that we hear that Laertes is studying in France, and this, this French connection will prove very important as the play goes on. Worth noting, too, is that Laertes is politically shrewd here. He explains that he was happy to come back to Denmark to be at the king's coronation. No mention of the funeral that precipitated this turn of events. He is focused on the current reigning king, and not at all gauche enough to bring up the recently deceased former monarch. Again, this will prove a contrast with our hero in a few lines' time. The king is not put out by this eager student's request, and turns to his aforementioned father for his views on the matter. Have you your father's leave? What says Polonius? So, the father gets a name. Polonius. Rather surprising that so high-ranking a figure in this Danish court would have a name with echoes of Poland, but who has nothing to do with it. Already in the first scene, we've had mention that Poland is Denmark's enemy, so perhaps there's something to be worked out here as we go along. But there again, Claudius has a name reminiscent of ancient Rome, and Polonius' son's name is shared only by the father of Odysseus in Homeric epic poetry. So what's in a name? Far more intriguing will be the oft-discussed proposal that perhaps Polonius is based on a very well-placed advisor in the actual Elizabethan court. Bear this in mind as we go along, too. The great man says, He hath, my lord, wrung from me my slow leave by laboursome petition, and, at last, upon his will I sealed my hard consent. I do beseech you, give him leave to go. We start to imagine now how Laertes grew up this serious. Polonius speaks in very formal, even legal-sounding language. The process of the son getting permission from the father just to go back to college is wound up in legal jargon with petitions and seals and even consent. Small wonder that the wry Claudius knows that Laertes has probably been through the mill with his father before getting anywhere near asking the king for his permission to leave the court and return to France. This sort of sets up Polonius as a stern, involved father, and also perhaps a mildly overindulgent, officious speaker. Polonius is at pains to point out that he was slow to give his leave, lest the king be in any doubt that he didn't think about it carefully in advance. Polonius is never one to pass up an opportunity to share his knowledge or wisdom, or to explain how one might do the right thing, and this is no exception. Having agreed that it will be all right in his own estimation. He beseeches the king likewise to let him go. The indulgent king agrees. Take thy fair hour, Laertes, time be thine, and thy best graces spend it at thy will. 
the king encourages the young man to apply his best qualities to how he spends his time in France. Of course, poor Laertes isn't going to get out of Denmark before he gets some even lengthier and rather more famous character advice from his father, but this is a conceivable moment for him to leave the stage and at least start packing. In some productions, indeed, Claudius can dismiss the entire court here so that what follows can be a little more private. Other stagings might choose to allow the assembled Danish nobles to stay and watch as the new king's attention turns at last to the other young man in the room. Yes, at long last, we are finally on the brink of being introduced to the title character. But it's so carefully done, and so full of character and potential, that I'm going to hold off with yet another tease, I'm sorry, and leave it until the next episode. Happily, thanks to the late arrival of this instalment, you won't be left waiting for too long. And in the next, our twelfth episode, we will at long last hear from our hero, our protagonist, and our title character, Hamlet. Please join me then. Thank you very much for listening, and do please subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, on SoundCloud, or wherever you choose to get your podcast yourself. There's always further information to be found on our website, thehamletpodcast.com.